Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Our topic is finding your desert rhythms. That is finding your desert rhythms. Now in scripture, the desert refers to solitary places, whether it's the wilderness, a place of solitude, uh, to meeting with God, an uninhabited space. And we all need a a place to go to it or a rhythm in our lives of getting to the desert to be with God out of which we then are active and doing for God. So let me just start with a little bit of an inventory to uh, get a sense of where you are and you can get a sense of where you are and, and just say how many of these are true of you? Uh, you know, I avoid silence and when I, when, even when I do am silent my mind constantly races or I skip and skim on Sabbath. I hurry a lot. I often position myself so that others will think well of me. Or I say yes when I'd rather say no. I find myself often resentful and tired because I'm trying to get it all done, to do it all. I rarely taste my food as a gift. I've got little mindfulness of delighting in Christ's love throughout the day. I'm often unaware of how much tension there is in my body. I've got little or no awareness of when I'm overreacting or triggered. And I'm checking email, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, more than 15 times a day and before I go to bed. Now, if at least three or more of these are true, you may be out of balance. If, you, if four or seven are true, you, you probably need a lot more being and desert in your life to sustain your doing. And if, you're, if most of those are true of you, uh, eight or more, you're probably in need of an extreme makeover. And these are kind of indicator lights that I know for myself, I need an adjustment in my rhythms. Because as we go through life and different responsibilities come our way and we hit different seasons of life, we must adjust our rhythms of being and doing with Jesus. I was at dinner once with a renowned Christian leader uh, who had invited seven or eight of us for dinner. It was a very nice restaurant, very godly conversation, normal dinner, great food. And the person who invited us recognized at a certain point there was a big gap between what he thought he was going to be charged and what actually he was charged on the bill. And the waiter comes and hands him, you know, the bill. And this, you know, person who sponsored the dinner, this renowned Christian leader, just started, you know, he went off. You liar. You said it was going to cost this much. I will never come back here. I'll tell all my friends never to come back here. And he humiliates the, the waiter. Manager comes over, apologizes profusely, and, and, and adjusts the bill, takes it off the bill. And and what's so interesting is that when it was all over, he just returned to the group at the table in a very friendly, warm demeanor, almost like nothing happened. It's just so easy to not even see something like that. Uh, I can think when I was in a planning meeting uh, a while ago, and I'm pushing, I'm, I'm, I'm talking too much. Uh, my body's feeling depressed. It, it's, it's just too much me in this meeting. I'm, 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 I'm striving, I'm grasping. And I'm making plans without God. I mean, that was my common mode of operating as a leader for years. Or, you know, if you're triggered with someone, the question is, what does it tell you about them? The question really is, what does it tell you about you? I mean, it's not uncommon for holidays to hit. And in the rush of the outer work of demands that are coming my way, uh, my inner work is suffering. I, I, you know, I need desperately silence, but I just find myself, again, I've got too many goals to accomplish. And I love Parker Palmer's statement where he says, if people skimp on their inner work, their outer work will suffer as well. That if people skimp on their inner work, their outer work will suffer as well. And the person who we see this best in is in Jesus, whose inner work of a desert was sufficient 
to sustain his outer work. Now we have in the New Testament one account of a day in the life of Jesus. It's found actually in Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 21. And it's when Jesus is in Capernaum, uh, uh, which was an important city in the first century in Galilee. And it's a place where Jesus made his headquarters. And a tax collector had his office there, a high officer of King Herod had his office there. So it was, it was an important place. And we see in verse 21, Jesus shows up in Capernaum to teach on this day. And all is going great. He's teaching in the synagogue. And just then, boom, there's an interruption. Try to imagine it. Demons start screaming out in the service. You know, my reaction is, hey, who's in charge here? Get, get, get a grip on this thing. You know, I, I'd be saying to myself, I should have stayed in Nazareth and never come here to Capernaum. Or, you know, Simon and Andrew, what kind of city is this? What kind of church, what kind of city do you come from? What kind of church is this? Or how can I focus on what God's doing and, and concentrate with all this screaming going on? Or, you know, I just met this crowd. You know, things are going well. Let me finish. But, you know, he's able to, you know, he deals with the demon. He, he, he you know, casts it out and he just moves on. Then he goes after the, after the synagogue service, he goes to Simon Andrew's house, uh, uh, Simon Peter's house for lunch after church. And another intrusion, you know, his mother-in-law is sick. And my reaction would have been, hey, listen, just let me have lunch. Give me a break. I've had a tough day already and been annoyed. Jesus is not a healer. And then it says, by evening, the whole town is gathering at the door and people who are sick, people who are demonized. And it's a very late night for him. It's been a long day. And these are not people who are rejuvenating him, giving him energy. They're sucking life out from his, his person. Uh, but he doesn't yell. He doesn't avoid people. He doesn't get resentful. doesn't blame or accuse. He's not mad at God. The tremendous chaos going around Jesus we see in this one account of Mark chapter 1 in a full day. But we see Jesus in the midst of chaos and stress of life. Um, he's just grounded. Uh, he's centered on the Father's love for him. And, and you can you can all relate. I can relate to, to chaos and stress in our lives. I mean, right now I'm in the middle of house renovations, uh, which was supposed to be a small project that grew to a medium large project. And I've got a lot of external stress in my life besides the regular work and family, etc. But anyone in leadership, uh, regardless of the typical life stresses that come our way, and I'm in one right now, that's really caused me to have to adjust my rhythms. Uh, when, when you're in leadership, you've got short-term, mid-term, long-term plans going on. You've got people issues constantly. If you're shepherding people as a pastor, I mean, I, I always think of Paul's uh, words, I face daily my pressure of concern for all the churches. I mean, just pastoring is a weight. There's no getting around it. And I remember after 26 years, I never understood the weight of being a lead pastor in particular <clears throat> until I stepped down after 26 years. And the minute the mantle was passed to another, uh, I felt <clears throat> I felt the, 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 the weight lifted. That's how I felt on my three sabbaticals as well. Um, there is a weight of shepherding people in the name of Jesus. There's no getting around it. Listen, everyone's got a plan for your life, expectations of your life, just like they had for Jesus. And I love when they said about Jesus in verse 27, what is this? A new teaching and, and with authority. And they noticed that and they were amazed at him because of this, <coughs> excuse me, because he had this authority flowing out of his presence, out of his person. Uh, they'd never seen it before, and yet Jesus was on, he was not ordained. Um, I mean, but the gap between him and the rabbis uh, was noticeable. He just utters a few words and uh, direct words, and Satan is stripped of his power. No techniques, no incant incantations, no symbolic acts, just a word. And again, we see Jesus anchored, <clears throat> centered, 
standing on solid ground in the Father's love. He's one with the Father. And he's got a deep sense, you are my son with whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And so Jesus is very clear as uh, the disciples come to him and say, uh, you know, let, you know, stay in Capernaum, there's a revival going on. And Jesus is able to say, you know, let us go to another place for that is why I've come. And he he's just so clear about the father's will for his life. And he rejects staying in Capernaum, which is a great revival and abundance going on. Without explanation, he's able to tell the 12, we've got to move on to another city. His identity is is not in what he does. It's not in what other people say. It's not in what he has. You know, he's just, he and people are in awe. He, he's just so anchored and centered. He has a desert rhythm. And it says in, in the next verse, he gets up early in the morning and he withdraws to a lonely place where he prays, solitary place where he prays. And that's when he gets such clarity about his life. But it's this desert rhythm Jesus has in his life. And you see it all through scripture in the New Testament that empowers him to live an eternally fruitful life. So the question is, if Jesus has such a clear desert rhythm, how do you and I get a desert rhythm to anchor ourselves in the Father amidst our complexities of life so that we're clear? In fact, just the last week I've been meditating on uh, Matthew chapter 14. And again, it's, it's, it's in these little sentences throughout the New Testament. If you look closely in the life of Jesus, Jesus finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. He's informed uh, about the beheading uh, of, of John the Baptist says this, when Jesus heard what had happened, now he's grieving, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I mean, it's just interesting, even in grief, he withdraws to be by himself to a solitary place uh, in his grief. And then, then the thousands of people show up uh, and Jesus ends up feeding them the loaves and the fishes and he has compassion on them. And you wonder where he got the strength to be compassionate. Uh, uh, and then he, then out of, after the, he feeds the 5,000, he sends the disciples off on a boat uh, while he goes up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And he's got enough clarity of mind to send the disciples into a storm. Very interesting how he does that, isn't it? Uh, but then he goes up to a mountainside to pray. But you see, again, this, this, this rhythm of being uh, in a desert and, or wilderness or solitary place and then coming out and, and acting, being and doing. To, to, so... Again, the desert, the first 30 years of his life, Jesus is in a desert, basically. I mean, he's in obscurity, he's hidden, he's not impressive. The first 90, in fact, if you think of Jesus' life, 90% of his life was spent in obscurity, 10% was visible, a three-year ministry. But he embraced this, this life of hiddenness. And again, it's this, this solitary, this desert, this uh, secret place, which in, empowers him to live such a fruitful life. I mean, why would God, the Father, hide this priceless package of Jesus for three decades? Part of it is we mistake the unseen and the hidden for the unimportant. And because uh, in that anonymity and hiddenness, God's growing something in Jesus, uh, the God-man, until so he emerges and uh, and begins his ministry at you know somewhere around the age of, of 30. But he he, it's interesting, he, he travels and, and the Spirit sends him in a desert, doing, being, doing, being, and it's the key to his life. Now, if Jesus needed to withdraw uh, to get away from people, how much more us? And uh, So how do I find, how do you find a desert rhythm uh, in your life? And I'll just give you a couple of, of tips for me that have been so significant, uh, and I pray they serve you as well. And I think the key verse is found in verse 35, which it says in Mark chapter 1, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place 
where he prayed. And uh, the question is, how do I create that solitary place? Because the most loving thing you can do for those around you is to get to a desert. It's countercultural. Uh, and if the Christian life is living out of that desert rhythm, and we've each got to find what are ours. Again, whether you're on uh, high school, college, young adults, middle age, senior citizen, you're pastoring, you're in the marketplace, you're in the mission field right now, or serving a nonprofit in some country in the world, um, how do I get that place? And, and listen, Jesus is the greatest news in the universe that God came in the person of Jesus, died for us, that we might have, you know, rose from the dead, that this, the power of sin, death, and, and Satan himself might be broken in our lives, you might be set free uh, into this place of belovedness, this place of, of, of being with him in communion. There's nothing greater in the universe. Uh, so, but if I'm gonna, out of a grateful heart, serve Jesus, I've got to have an interior life to sustain it. Again, as Parker Palmer's quote, if, if I skimp on my inner work, my outer work will suffer as well. You know, we hand out, and we do the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses anywhere in the world, uh, we hand out a, a little card about creating a rhythm in your day, and we try to introduce rhythms, desert rhythms, into people's lives in our churches. And I've had this schematic, and in this card is a schematic of morning, afternoon, evening, and Compline, or Compline, uh, or creating a rhythm in your day. And it comes out of the monastic offices that it's what's used uh, around the world for folks who are, are living in the world but want to live uh, kind of monastic rhythms. In other words, how do I create a, a life, and how do you create a life where I can be, in a sense, a mini-monk, where my whole life is seeking the face of God? That's what the word daily office means. Office means the work of God. The first work is to seek his face. And so uh, I divide my day up into these, into those rhythms. Six to nine o'clock is morning prayer, sometime in that frame, between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. Afternoon prayer is sometime between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Evening prayer is sometime between 5 p.m. and 8 p.m. And Compline or Compline is that final office right before I go to bed. Now, in my case, and for most people, the morning office or morning prayer is the longest. You know, time in Scripture. Mine could last anywhere from a half hour, an hour and a half uh, in the morning time for you know, serious time in Scripture and silence, a long time of silence uh, for about 20 minutes for me and uh, meditation, and, and that's extended. Afternoon from 11 to 2, uh, uh, it could be, a, for me, a five-minute pause. It could be a three-minute pause. It could be a half an hour uh, time with God. Again, I'll always have some silence just to center in, some deep breaths, <clears throat> to be with Jesus, to remember him. Uh, <clears throat> often pray a psalm and scripture, uh, something devotional perhaps. Uh, evening prayer between 5 and 8, that's my most challenging office. It can just last a minute or two, just something before I often walk back in my home, but that's the one I, I tend to have the greatest challenge with. And then Compline, I always do before I go to bed. And that is something very simple. Uh, it's the last office of the day when you close your eyes uh, before you go to sleep. And, and Jerry and I, we do one of three things. We, we say the, that famous prayer from the Book of Common Prayer, may the Lord Almighty grant us, we say, or grant me, grant us, and those we love, and then we list each of our children, a peaceful night and our grandchild children and son-in-laws, and a, may the Lord Almighty grant us and those we love a peaceful night and a perfect end. Uh, we may pray the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we may do an examine of things we're grateful for during the day. <clears throat> but some way to just close, uh, I'll close my night in God, sometimes with Jerry, often alone, because when I close my eyes, I don't know when I, when I open them again, if I'll see him face to face, uh, I'll wake up on the other side. I'm, my earthly life will be over. Or if I wake up, oh, here I am, you know, another day, you know, with you, O oh Lord, on earth to serve you. 
Uh, but I, so if you just start, if you have a time in the morning with God and a time at night, those two offices alone, you're already living a mini monk life. You already have a rhythm. That's something. And I would encourage you to try to add perhaps a third one during a day. Uh, that stopping for me since 2003 uh, and getting some kind of a mini monk rhythm has, has just changed my whole life. Uh, and uh, I, I commend it to you. It's, it's a great gift. And, and during that time of silence and stillness before the Lord, I'm, I'm receiving his love. I'm surrendering my will to his will. And I'm, I'm just open to hear God that he might want to speak. But it's my little desert. And I can do that desert in Times Square. I can do it uh, in an in a office and close the, the door. I can do it in a closet. I can do it anywhere. Uh, even if there's exterior noise on a subway or a bus or a train uh, or sitting alone in my car uh, in my driveway because it, uh, it's an interior silence that I'm locking into. Uh, but again, it could, it could, it could and again, I always see the emotionally healthy discipleship course. I want to bring this to churches because I want our people to get a desert rhythm. I want them to get a relationship with Jesus that's firsthand in their life. You know, I was cleaning out my uh, my books. I have a, a, a practice that periodically, when my bookshelves are filled in my office, uh, I, that is time for me to, to give books away. And I have a limited bookshelf space in my office. And so periodically, I'll just I'll fill boxes up with books and I'll give them away to people I know. Uh, and then I can buy some more books. But it's that gift of limits around even my office books. And so as I was going through it recently, this past week, I found uh, the journals of Thomas Merton. Many years ago, I read through all his journals uh, just to find out what he was really like behind the scenes. And it was quite a shock. <laughs> but at one point, he says in his journal about, about a, a fellow monk who had just left the monastery. And he says this, he says, referring to this fellow, he entered the monastery on someone else's faith and lived there on someone else's faith. But when he finally had to face the fact that what was required was his own faith, he collapsed. I want to read it again to you because I think it applies to some people as well in our churches. Uh, Referring to this fellow, he entered the monastery on someone else's faith. We could substitute that. He entered the church on someone else's faith, and he lived there on someone else's faith. But when he finally had to face the fact that what was required was his own faith, he collapsed. Very insightful. And I, as I've pressed in with people about their relationship with Jesus, folks have been in our church for years, active, serving, sometimes giving, uh, sadly, sometimes leading, I find out that there's not a lot of living communion with Jesus there, a lot of living faith of them in Jesus. And as you know, it's easy to lead without connecting to Jesus. Because especially if you have experience and you're gifted, because you can coast on those gifts and coast on your experiences, you know what to do. And it doesn't mean there's not fruit coming out of your life. It's limited fruit. Because remember, the Spirit of God can move through you. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't say anything about the level of union and communion that one has with Jesus. That's why it's so critical we get to a desert place and build some rhythms in our life that we're not just riding on our gifts or our experience. We need an interior life and we've got to tend to it. So, so it may be things like, okay, yes, it's, it's pausing throughout the day for what we call daily offices for communion with Jesus. Pausing for Sabbath for a 24-hour period each week to stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Uh, I see Sunday a, a commitment to, to weekend worship uh, and sitting under the word. 
uh, even attending some kind of a group on a regular basis, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a way of attending to, it can be a desert. If I see that I'm going to meet with Jesus, I think reading a passage of scripture, listening for God's word, uh, speak to me, that's it. Journaling is a desert place. Lighting a candle in your home can be a desert place. Allowing music to draw your spirit to the spirit of, of God. Uh, doing an exam and reviewing your day and noticing where and how God was present to you in it. Just making a list of your blessings and responding with gratitude. You know, stopping at lunch, going outside, seeing people actually, smelling the air. Uh, I actually did this just this past week. I was in a massive traffic jam in Manhattan. Uh, and I made the mistake during rush hour to take a lift because uh, it was raining and hit, hit huge traffic and was sitting there probably for 45 minutes. I could have walked it in probably 15 to 20. And I was so uh, frustrated. And then the Lord just caught my attention. And I just said, okay, be present. Or just be present, Pete. And I was. And I basically had a you know, communion in the car with my fellow passenger. And we had a nice conversation. And I just allowed myself to see the rushing people outside my window as well. It could be something, a desert may be something as simple as repeating the Jesus prayer. You know, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, you know, a sinner. It can be a contemplative walk in the woods. It could be sitting in silence, allowing yourself to be hugged, you know, by God. It could be meditatively just speaking the Lord's prayer, meditating on biblical arts, allowing your heart to soar in a sunset or a beach or even a storm or a tree or a flower. It could be cooking a slow meal, you know, pondering the ingredients, a sensory feast. Uh, it could be stopping before you transition into another meeting before you go from one meeting to another or one thing to the next. It's one of the great monastic practices called statio. They pause before they go from one thing to another. Now, here's what happens. If we don't find our deserts and pauses, we become activists without an interior life that's anchored in the love of God. And when that happens, mixed motives inevitably follow. We end up living out of a false self uh, we add to the chaos and stress of the world rather than reducing it. And our identity gets gets unanchored and it becomes, you know, um, am I in control here? Let me make sure people see that I'm worth something. I'm not a loser. I'm looking to get love from the wrong places. And we end up off course. I, I'm reminded of Henry Nouwen's, you know, classic uh, on the prodigal sons where he defines lostness as getting outside the love of the Father. In other words, when I cease to hear the voice from, of the Father over me, that I am his beloved, I have wandered, I have gotten lost like the prodigal son. Uh, that definition of lostness is a powerful one uh, because it's not about you know, committing some kind of a you know, gross sin of Galatians 5, uh, you know, 21 and 22 or 23. It's, it's, it's getting off base of his lovingness. I know when I'm not tending to my interior life uh, and I'm writing things like thank you cards, it becomes a yoke. Uh, I end up hurrying uh, things of God, trying to, it's like trying to help a, uh, a butterfly to hatch or an egg to hatch with chicks in it. I want to make it happen. And before I know it, I'm rushing things. When I'm not tending to my interior life, I, I say things that I should not say. Uh, prematurely or things come out judgmental, critical, harsh. Uh, when I'm not tending my inner life, I end up starting projects without really thinking them through about how much time this actually is going to take. 
Uh, and, uh, you know, I think of a counselor friend of mine who said to me, hey, listen, Pete, when I meet with too many clients, I lose the sacredness of the person in front of me and I become machine-like. So I love what uh, Thomas Keating said, one of his quotes about the place of silence and stillness before God. He says this, to submit to divine therapy, which he refers to as being still before the Lord, to submit to divine therapy is something we owe to ourselves and the rest of humanity. If we don't allow the spirit of God to address the deep levels of our attachments to ourselves and our different programs for happiness, we will pour into the world the negative elements of our self-centeredness, adding to the conflicts and social disasters that come from over-identifying with the biases and prejudices of our particular culture and our upbringing. In other words, to get to the depth of the heart requires silence in the desert, uh, getting alone, because yes, the social sciences are all good, but to really discern deeply the difference between the authentic and the sham, at least in the most subtle cases, it really does require uh, silence. You know, a number of theoricians have estimated that the average person only accomplishes 10% of their promise. Uh, we only see 10% of the beauty in the world around us. We only hear 10% of the music and the poetry in the universe. We only smell 10% of the world's fragrance. We taste only 10% of the deliciousness of being alive. We're only 10% open to actually all the emotions and the wonder and awe going on inside of us. Uh, our mind only embraces a small part of the thoughts and reflections of, uh, and understandings of what we're capable of. And that our heart's only 10% alive with, with love. And it's just so easy to die without ever having really lived or really loved. And as uh, John Powell says uh, many years ago in The Secret of Staying in Love, this is the most frightening of all possibilities. Listen, the greatest gift you can give to the world is who you are. That our very presence drives back the, the forces of, of hell itself. And uh, what we do is important, but not nearly as important as, as who we are. So. Let me invite you as we close this podcast out to find your desert rhythm. What adjustments do you need to make now in light of what you're walking in, what you're carrying, the season of life you're in, uh, to develop a rhythm of being and doing that fits you right now? And unlike Martha, who missed Jesus in the midst of her serving, we do not want to miss Jesus as we lead for him. So let me invite you to come to one of our monthly trainings to get trained in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. We want to change the culture of churches and ministries so that desert rhythms, being and doing, becomes the normal language of how we operate as a culture. And one of the core values of the discipleship, EH Disciple, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course is to help people begin to get a rhythm in a 24-7 culture which has no rhythm with offices and these day-by-days to be with Jesus in a rhythm of silence and stillness as well as scripture uh, twice a day so that we're aware and practicing his presence all through the day. So we run these monthly trainings on mastering the launch of the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. Let me encourage you to come to one of those and begin initiating a culture shift uh, in the ministry you lead 
But remember, it all starts with us. It starts with you. It starts with me. And it is a battle. It is something that has to be monitored every day, uh, every week, uh, every season, uh, every year of our lives. It is not like, oh, I got this. No, uh, it is something I'm working on, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. So may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine on you wherever you are right now listening to this. And may you experience his love, his power, and his presence so that your life might be a gift to the world. God bless you, everyone. You have a wonderful day. Look forward to talking to you again next week.